Stephen. Hello, Stephen. How's week, whatever it is, of the election going for you? <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll say that. I, I really predictable as maybe the. <laughs> I didn't project this, and neither I don't think <laughs> did Trudeau. No. Um, no. If, if the conservatives win, Trudeau is going to go down in history as a fool, and that's going to mar any accomplishments he might have had in office. He'll go down in history as a fool. Yeah, and you know uh, the numbers are are have been moving away. Although there's, there's been a little bit of an indication that maybe the conservatives have sort of hit their their magic ceiling, um, and because you know their appeal is kind of limited. Uh, and, that, and that's been their problem the last little while. I mean, even even Stephen Harper uh, had trouble, uh, you know, getting his numbers over a certain amount because, you know, their policies aren't, uh, you know, aren't mainstream Canadian. Um, but, uh, it, but, you know, you, you have no idea, you know, maybe, you know, the Conservatives are having a dead cat bounce where they're getting the initial kind of angriness of the voters out of their system. And then, you know, then everyone comes back to their senses. But who knows at this point? It's 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 it's, uh, it's anyone's it's, game. Yeah, well, it it really is. And well, anyone uh, but the NDP that, you know, they're 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 well, going that, on that, that, forming that the government. Saying, but yeah, that was an asterisk, an invisible asterisk over what you said. But it's everybody's game. The asterisk was except the NDP. Yeah. Um, but the NDP is benefiting from people uh, migrating away from the liberals. Uh, social progressives leaving the liberals, and so they, you know, they they could do better than they did last time around. But of course, forming a government's not in the cards. I just don't understand why the liberals have not been hammering about the conservatives' policies on health care, uh, raise the specter of abortion, uh, you know, talk about climate change, the things that can, and they are talking about. Uh, home affordability, the liberal, all, everybody, every party's talking about home sure, affordability. Who doesn't, you get a home and you get a home and you get a home. And, but they, they're not hammering on two-tier O'Toole, which I think is a winner. That two-tier O'Toole is a winner. And they're not, I don't know where these guys, are they still up at the cottage? This is what I'm wondering about the people in charge of the campaign. Now they ran a, pre, a pretty poor campaign last time. If it wasn't for people being repulsed by Andrew Scheer, then it would have been a lot closer or it may have been a different outcome. Um, but they're not, they can't afford to run that kind of sloppy campaign like they did last time, this time around, because Eric, uh, Aaron O'Toole is no Andrew Scheer. He's more affable. He comes across as just, a, uh, you know, the guy who you see watering his lawn and, you know, your neighbor. Um, he's got that blue collar appeal. And that is something I think, I think there's a lot of people who are just sick to death of Trudeau. Um, well, and this goes back to something I said at last week's podcast. I mean, the key number to watch in any election isn't, you know, what policies are popular and who would make the best prime minister and, you know, all those other things we see polls on like every 15 minutes. It's the, it's the question of, do you think it's time for a change? And, and, and that one, you know, people who, who, who watch politics know that that is the one indicator of whether or not a government's can be tossed out on its ear, because it doesn't matter what the policies are. It doesn't matter. I mean, Kathleen Wynne, you know, found this out. I mean, the, you know, Wynne's, you know, when you say, okay, Kathleen Wynne versus Doug Ford, 
who do you think is is the responsible adult in the room, you know, in Ontario? And who do you think your interests are best going to be served by? I mean, it's, I mean, whether you're a liberal or not, you know, Kathleen Wynne looks pretty good considering what Ontarians have been through. But after 16 years, the, the Ontario voters said, you know what, it's time for a change. I mean, like it, like it's like it's some kid's backyard party. And it's like, okay, no, you know, give Jimmy a chance on the swing set because he hasn't had a chance on the swings. Um, you know, politics shouldn't be like that, but that that you know, that indicia where people say, you know, it's time for a change, they'll ignore all the issues when it comes down to that one question. And I saw a poll, I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure I I believe it because it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, the source of the poll wasn't necessarily a big sample and all the rest, but they did ask that question and they say that the numbers of people who are saying, yeah, it's time for a change is creeping up to close to 2015 levels when, of course, they tossed the, the conservatives out and took the third place party, the liberals, and made them the government. That's very interesting to watch. And you're right that that is a, a truer indication of what will what will happen when people go to cast their ballots, because people rarely vote for somebody. They often vote against somebody. Um, and if they're you got to get them, the liberals need to get them voting against O'Toole and not voting against Trudeau. Yeah. Um, and so far, they've not done a good job. I, I haven't seen the liberals make a case yet for why they should be reelected. No, I saw the first commercial yesterday from, uh, from the Liberals. I mean, there's been sort of a, a touchy-feely good, uh, you know, help out your neighbors, and that's what Canadians are about, liberal commercial um, that's been around for a couple of uh, week, uh, week and a half now. Yeah, I saw the first, money. Well, yeah, and I, I, you know, okay, yeah, we want to feel good, and Canadians do value, you know, helping out your neighbor and being nice to each other, and, you know, we're all pulling together kind of thing. But uh, I saw another one, and I just saw one spot of it uh, yesterday, where, you know, the Liberals are starting to say, look, you know, here's what we're going to do, and O'Toole is going to undo it. And it was the first, it wasn't an attack ad particularly, but it really was, you know, look, you know, here's how you're better off with the liberals as opposed to sort of platitudes. But I, I, like you, I've been scratching my head and the style and the style from the beginning of, of uh, Trudeau campaigns, you know, the Trudeau liberals under his leadership, it was 2015, it was 2019, has been sort of a talk to the issues, never raise your voice, never get angry, um, you know, talk, talk about your policies in a very kind of um, conversational way that you think you're going to win people over to. And while in an ideal world, I think calm, rational thought is a great way to explore the issues in, 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 in any election. Um, it's not what wins elections, at least not, you know, I come from, from an older school of politics, which is a little more bare, bare knuckle, um, you know, not dirty tricks, but, you know, you forcefully put your position forward and you point out the, uh, you know, the flaws in the other person's uh, promises and campaigns. Um, but the liberals since 2015 haven't done that. And they've been able to sort of soft sell their way into office. And I get frustrated myself, you know, because I look and I say, well, look, you know, you've got all these great policies that are in jeopardy. I mean, whether it's the $10 a day uh, daycare, um, you know, and there's no comparison between $10 a day daycare and what the conservatives, you know, the conservatives, I think their tax credit, someone calculated out, you know, if you're in Toronto, where the average cost of childcare is about $22,000 a year, 
uh, the conservative plan, someone tossed it out and said, you'll save $1,100. Whereas with the liberals, you'll save almost $20,000. I mean, like, how do you compare those apples and oranges? I mean, and why are they not? Why are the liberals not trotting those out, those messages out everywhere? Yeah, because you people know, in, do vote in, with their wallets in big black letters on a white screen. I mean, it's it, that's the kind of thing that you should be talking about. And, you know, there, there's all kinds of issues that, you know, the, that the liberals not just are promising because everyone promises a ton of stuff in, the, in during elections and everyone always complains. Oh, you're just promising because there's an election on. But I think that there's a track record now. Of, of things that have been started and other things that are have been completed by the government that make for a compelling case to continue them on, especially when you look at the alternatives and what the, you know, the, like you say, two-tier uh, O'Toole. I was very pleased that one of my, uh, one of my tweets was uh, number one on when two-tier O'Toole was, uh, was, was trending. But the whole idea of this, you know, the Canadian sacred cow of, um, of public health care um, and uh, not private, privatizing it. People say, well, some of it's been privatized already. There's clinics and stuff. They say, yeah, but that's a terrible thing. Do you want more of that? They say, no, we, we want to make as much public availability and affordability of healthcare as possible. So, you know, the conservatives clearly are looking at, you know, the billions and billions and billions of dollars that's involved in, in uh, privatizing healthcare as an option for, you know, for friends and family and the rich. Um, but, you know, these are issues that Canadians care deeply about, but they don't, you know, the Liberals don't seem to be leaning on them and they're allowing other people to set the agenda. Yeah, they're, you know, they they have, I don't know, is Gerald Butts involved with them this time? It seems, it seems unlikely. I don't think so. I see him tweeting pretty regularly and he still seems to be, you know, I see him, him, you know, trending on Twitter all the time because conservatives seems to still think that he is like the Cardinal Richelieu of, yes. of the liberal party. And he's, he's behind the throne, uh, manipulating things. And last I heard, he was quite enjoying a, uh, a his private life out in, in Nova Scotia. I think, uh, I don't think he's involved in this. I have no idea who's actually running the campaign. Uh, for the liberals this time i wonder if there is anybody or if everybody assumes the other guy's running it <laughs> just, it's like i'm sure scare, somebody's in charge like the scarecrow yeah. and the wizard of oz pointing <laughs> you know pointing both sides you know who's in charge oh they are um it, it it just seems directionless it seems that it doesn't have guts to it like it it what great do commercials about loving puppies it doesn't do anything reinforcing something that canadians already believe and reinforcing canadian values that unless you're juxtaposing it with a party that doesn't doesn't live up to those values or doesn't espouse those values you've wasted your time with your commercial money now the conservatives have more money than the liberals as always and so maybe the liberals are just letting the conservatives spend themselves uh, spend a lot of money now and the liberals are keeping their money together for as it gets into the clinch but there comes a tipping point where the momentum towards the conservatives is going to be too great. I don't think we're there yet. Um, no, and, and I think you know the, the dividing line is often Labor Day. I mean, you know, it, for for anything, it's just one of those psychological things where you need new Laurentian pen, pencil crayons, and uh, you know, you buy a binder of paper, and uh, and what the world starts again the day after Labor Day. So it may well be that no one's paying too much attention right now. Um, you know, except for those people who are really engaged on Twitter and elsewhere. But, uh, you know, and, and I'd like to think, you know, if, I, if I'm if I'm trying to pick apart what the liberal plan is, which is, you know, put on a heavy push right after Labor Day, because everyone is sort of 
at least psychologically, you know, back in their heads at that point, and they're going to pay attention to it. But again, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, there, it's, it's a bit maddening. Um, there comes a point in time where, yeah, I, I too thought Labor Day is a psychological uh, demarcation as to when people start taking the business of the world more seriously. Um, kids go back to school. It doesn't really change much for adults, except that their kids are back at school um, as long as the schools are open. Um, but if people poke their heads up after Labor Day, say, huh, a bunch of people seem to think this O'Toole guy is okay. Maybe he is okay. Like, you know, there's a danger of the momentum being something that is just too hard to stop. Yeah. And if the liberals continue to be gormless in their campaigning, like, I would just like Trudeau to get mad just once. Well, he's pretty good when he is mad. And there's been a couple of times when you've seen, the, you know, especially when he's being followed around by the anti-vaxxer people, uh, where he has, you know, he hasn't lost his cool, but he's has certainly shown more of his father than he shows of his mother. Um, and, you know, Pierre Trudeau did not uh, suffer fools gladly and uh, had a pretty acid tongue uh, you know, at, at times, and, you know, it's, it's times like when Trudeau can't get a word in edgewise, because, because all of the, the, the anti-vaxxers, you know, I, I kind of miss the yellow vesters, because at least you could see them coming. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I suspect these are all the same people, and they just, you know, wore out their yellow vests. But, um, you know, but you saw Justin Trudeau on the campaign trail, get fed up with being dogged by this bunch of yahoos all the time. And, he got really good at speaking and passionately about speaking about the importance of healthcare and government oversight and all the other kind of stuff that, uh, that the, uh, the little party uh, stands for. So, you know, he has the power to do that, but this laid back approach is I think very frustrating for, for, for a lot of people because, you know, there's a time when you need to show your teeth and that's, you know, that time's during an election. Yeah. There needs to be a great deal more, aggression coming from the liberal campaign. This is not uh, 2015. Um, you know, this is not any of the previous elections. This is this election. Every election yeah, is its own beast. And especially when the other parties are have been showing their teeth from day one, you know, from before day one, you know, the, the conservatives are in, in uh, you know, they are great campaigners. They are in perpetual campaign mode uh, between elections. I mean, we've imported that from the United States, where they were constantly fundraising, constantly electioneering, you know, while you're supposed to be governing, uh, you know, and they think their job is simply to get reelected. It is not to actually, you know, run the government and do anything. It's, you know, just to stay in office. And in Canada, we used to have that period, you know, it used to be like, okay, after the election, everything was quiet government was trying to figure out, you know, where they keep the rubber bands. And uh, then for two years, they could govern. And then the last year before an election, when you hit year three, you start thinking about the election for the first time, really. Uh, you know, you start raising money and you start thinking about candidates and policies and all the rest. But the, you know, the conservatives and, you know, the NDP has been like that, too, because they've, they've picked up a lot of tricks from the, uh, from the uh, Republicans in the South at the same time in terms of electioneering, which is being in perpetual attack mode, perpetual campaign mode. And, you know, always raising money, always attacking the person. So when you start the election campaign, you're not, a, you know, not starting from a standing stop. You are already running and you've already formed to a certain extent a public opinion about your opposition. Whereas, you know, the liberals have been 
really, you know, the liberals used to be called the government party because they governed for, you know, for so many years. Um, and the liberals are back in that mode right now, being the government party, uh, you know, the party of governance. And, you know, in the current climate, being the government just isn't enough. You really have to sell yourself every single day. And I think the liberals have done a poor job of selling themselves um, as vigorously as the other parties have done attacking them. Well, I think that, I mean, it's fact that they thought that they were going to coast to victory. Just the fact that they called the election because they had data that indicated they could get a majority. This is obviously a surprise to them and a surprise to their candidates. I mean, and I don't know if you saw, of course, a Brian Lilly headline. Um, Marcy, I don't know how you pronounce her name. Ian? Marcy Ian, yep. Ian um, said she can't support Justin Trudeau is the, uh, the headline. And what she said was she was talking to a group, uh, I believe it was uh, uh, LGBTQ activists, and they were talking about the fact that there still exists a ban on sexually active gay men from giving blood, which goes, it goes way. I mean, that's archaic at this point. Sure. And, oh, yeah. Well, that, that, well, that's a cause near and dear to the uh, to the Toronto Sun and Brian Lilly, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've always been great campaigners for LGBTQ. Yeah. 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 Um, but she said that she, she, what she actually said was she can't support Justin Trudeau's inaction on this. Um, which of course becomes can't support Justin Trudeau. She's clearly a political novice, doesn't recognize how things can be spun, uh, how your words can be taken and spun. Um, she doesn't strike me as the brightest bulb in the uh, showcase. And I, I hope no other candidates, uh, like there's a lot of candidates I think who are lightweights, who uh, were put in place because the thought was it'll be an easy campaign for them. Yeah. And now that it's a tougher campaign, we're seeing that some of them were lightweights. Well, you know, and, and fortunately for Marcy, and uh, just, just today, the uh, enemy Paul, who she's running against, the leader of the Green Party, uh, had a press conference where she said, uh, you know, if, you, if you're really serious about climate change, there's only one party that can uh, really push forward the Green agenda, and that's the Liberal Party. And uh, she had a sign language interpreter standing behind her, and you could see the sign language interpreter pause when she said "Liberal Party." And like, um, um, what? Okay, and then continued to sign it. And you know, there's a video flying around on on the uh, from CPAC. You know, it's it's not manipulated video; um, it, it's real. And uh, and then Enemy Paul did a press conference a couple of hours later and say, "Well." Um, yeah, I misspoke. I, I meant the Green Party. It's like, you should really get the name of your own party right uh, oh. and, not, and not endorse the other people. So maybe uh, maybe Marcy has a, has a, has a better chance uh, because it doesn't sound like that's going too well for her, for what is supposed to be her main opposition in that writing. And, you know, or watch, watch the Conservative come up in the middle, which I don't think in that writing is, is too likely either. Well, I don't think so. Um... But, like, but you see, we, I'm sorry, but you see things like, you know, you know, there's a three day uh, outrage fest over uh, Christia Friedland's uh, video of uh, two tier O'Toole. Um, and, you know, everyone got all excited because Twitter marked it as manipulated video and there were questions and she should resign. And, you know, and it went on in the media, made a, just a thing about it for, for, for you know, half a week. 
And someone actually you know, referred it to Elections Canada with a complaint. And Elections Canada came back yesterday and said, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, she clearly linked to the full video below, which had the, uh, the, you know, the whole context of it. It wasn't manipulated. It was just, it was shortened and edited. Uh, but, you know, you can watch the whole video. Uh, but you know, where is the where's the retraction? Where's the three day? Oh, you know, it wasn't manipulated video. Elections Canada said uh, you know, it was buried way back on you know page nineteen, uh, you know, next to the Sudoku. Um, but so it's we're the you know that's problem. One of the problems with being a governing party is everyone's taking shots at you. Like you said, the NDP is the main beneficiary. You think, um, although it's it's getting weirder. Uh, you know, someone who doesn't like the liberals may go to the conservatives uh, or may go to the NDP. It may be the same person who flips back and forth too. So there's not a lot of consistency among some political voters, but uh, you know, the NDP uh, um, is, is hiding off some of the liberal support, but again, you know, they're, they're running a, a kind of a, an odd campaign themselves and they're increasingly being called on half truths outright outright misrepresentations and various other things um it's 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 i don't know it's it's hard to see who is who's uh, you know going to catch the eye of the voters at this point but, yeah no go on i was gonna say but you know i i, I and i tweeted out you know, a couple of days ago as well, you know, the biggest risk that Trudeau ran, and, you know, we, we've talked about this before, is calling election when people are cranky. And people are cranky because we've all been stuck in our houses for a year and a half that, uh, you know, what we remember not being able to get toilet paper and lining up for vaccinations in the hot sun or dealing with, uh, you know, forgetting your mask in the car or people working from home or being stuck with your kids, you know, as much as you love them. Uh, you know, when people are cranky, um, it doesn't, they're looking, they're, they're, they're just looking to be unhappy with someone. And if you're the one calling the election, um, again, over and above the opportunism of it, I think it's a real risk to call an election when people are cranky, because like you said, people will vote against something faster than they'll vote for something. Well, the liberals run the risk of being mentally associated with these hard times, with the, uh, with the COVID uh, outbreak with the measures that had to be taken for the COVID outbreak, you know, they may just be associated with these uh, circumstances and people will want a, a mental break. They want something different. They want something fresh. Um, and so they don't want any holdovers from the COVID era. They want to move forward and well, let's do that with another party. It's there's, there's so much that could be uh, going on. Um, you know, but the, it was interesting to me to see the 338 have the Conservatives now ahead in projected seat counts because the Liberals were holding on to still a, mi a minority government. And now it, it, the 338 is showing the likelihood of a Conservative minority government. So that's significant to me that because when the Liberals were still ahead with seat count, it didn't matter that there was popular disassociation because it could be a, a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. Um, but that's, and it can turn around. I mean, people need to remember, as you mentioned, Justin Trudeau was leading the third party in uh, 2015. 
And yeah, and, and we've also realized that polls have been so off on so many occasions recently because, you know, not because the pollsters aren't doing their jobs, but because the people that they poll are so mercurial at the moment that they change their minds or they, they turn on a dime. So, uh, you know, and, and none of this, you know, the polls may be absolutely right at this point, but it's hard to tell until the votes are counted. Yeah. And it, I mean, this, I mean, look at the, the, the polls. Uh, across the country and provincial elections have been wonky when when elections have been held they've been um, misleading and just outright wrong I mean people and people seem to be distancing themselves from the polls from being influenced by the polls it seems that they they have their minds made up they may tell the pollsters one thing but they may change their mind um, they may not have actually made up their mind and they just made a snap decision, which they're not going to stand behind. Uh, you know, polls are made up of people who weren't smart enough to get off the phone. Yeah. And, and some people too, I mean, especially if you're, you're voting for a party of, of, of meanness, uh, you know, they found when, you know, Mike Harris was first elected in, in 1995, that the polls were all wrong because people would not admit that they were going to vote for Mike Harris because they were they were embarrassed and or ashamed of it um, because you know he, he stood for a lot of you know meanness uh, and you know the same thing with Trump and a couple of other uh, elections where people have just been too embarrassed to tell you how they're really going to vote um, now and that usually works in favor of of conservative parties um, because, you know, they, they tend to be on the harsher side of the spectrum, but uh, you know, so there's all kinds of things at play. I mean, I'd hate to be a pollster. I follow a few of them um, and, you know, it's, it, and it's, it's interesting work. I, I've known some pollsters too, but it's becoming harder and harder because again, they used to get people um, they do phone polls and they catch people at home on their phone, you know, now cell phone, uh, or online polls, you know, completely useless because, you know, all it yeah. is is people who like to do polls. Um, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the first self screener is like, how many polls have you done in the last, oh, I've done 15 polls today. It's like, okay, <laughs> you, you know what, you're skewing the results, buddy. Um, but uh, the world has changed and it's getting more and more difficult to sort of sample what people are really thinking. Um, and also, also, as we said before, because sometimes people don't know what they're thinking themselves. And often, you know, I find it hard to believe that some people make up their mind while they're casting their vote. Like while they got the piece of paper in front of them, that's when they decide who they're going to vote for. And I, I find that really hard to believe because, you know, I like, I, you know, I follow the people, I follow the issues, the news and all the rest. And, you, you know, you're kind of informed and you get an idea fairly early on, uh, you know, barring uh, disasters. But a lot of people just have no idea, you know, what the issues are uh, and, uh, you know, how they're going to vote until the very last minute. It makes it really difficult to predict. Yeah, those are what has been deemed low information voters. And, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. You know what? Oh, an awful lot. And, of them. and I'm not denigrating them in the sense that there's a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck, have a lot on their mind, uh, just basic day to day is is difficult as a struggle for them they don't have the luxury of spending time searching uh internet sites for uh for news about the election or keeping up with the election they don't have an inclination towards it and they don't and even if they did they simply haven't got the time they've got the kids to look after especially now with COVID, people still people working from home still their kids are at home 
there's you know there's a reason why some people don't make up their mind till they get there and those are the people that get most affected by just glances at headlines yeah and And, memes and memes memes and slogans which the conservatives have been consistently great at because when you're sitting there trying to think who who do i vote for oh well o'toole said he's gonna lower my taxes i mean i don't know it's complete baloney um but uh, but that's what they remember because that's been pounded into their heads and that's you know and that's the electioneering um you know expertise that conservative parties have had for you know since since reagan uh to uh, you know to, to drive an idea into someone's head to make them vote for you whether it's true or not and the conservatives because their brand is one of a little more viciousness um they can make vicious memes uh, and not violate their brand. Whereas if the liberals equally were to put out memes to, re, you know, as rejoinders to the memes that the conservatives are putting out, and they do it in the same, uh, same tone, that will backfire on the liberals. Yeah. So the liberals, in a sense, in, in this fight, they're unable to, to really combat, you know, in the meme wars, they can't really fight. They can't really. They can't really combat. Uh, even the NDP has more license to be, uh, you know, as you said, get your teeth in it than the Liberals do. The Liberals have to still behave as a government, you know, with a certain decorum, like responsible adults. Yeah, and and of course, responsible adults never the most fun people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, maybe they're the ones who make you eat your vegetables. And and maybe Canadians are sick of eating their vegetables after being good Samaritans for, uh, mo- you know, months and months, nearly two yeah. years. Yeah. And that's why it's dangerous, because that's when voters will vote against their own self-interests. Uh, you know, they're, you know some, sometimes they're, they're deluded. Sometimes they're just, you know, again, angry and cranky enough to say, you know what? I'm going to, you know, well, you know, Rob Ford as mayor of Toronto is a perfect example. It's like, you know what, this place needs shaken up and here's just the jerk who can do it. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm going to you know, just set him loose like a, like a, a crazy squirrel at a garden party because, you know, this place, you know, those guys need to be scared and, and shaken up. And you don't freak, you don't, you don't think about the, the long-term damage that electing a poor government can do to you uh, on, on very real level. Um, you know, especially the poor, the vulnerable, the uh, the marginalized. You know, whether you, whether it's you know women, uh, you know, who, uh, or um, you know LGBTQ community, or immigrants, or you know all you know, it, those are the people who end up suffering because other people vote against their own self interests uh, without thinking about the long term consequences of what that's going to do to them. I mean, there's a long history in democracy of voters being convinced to vote against their own best interests. I mean, you look in the United States, the, uh, the states that are solidly conservative, solidly Republican are the states that also have the lowest level of education, lowest level of health care, uh, lowest uh, quality of life. Yep, the highest divorce rates, the highest abortion rates, the highest teen pregnancy rates. I mean, you know, the Bible Belt, which is you know, you know, Texas, Alabama, Florida, and you know, and, Louisiana, and, and Louisiana, and you know, and the, the the states north of there, they have consistently you know ranked the lowest in services, in benefits, in as you said, in health and education, all the important indices of a good life. 
but they keep voting for the same party that that's doing that to them because they're sure someone somewhere is going to get a benefit that they're not entitled to and uh, you know or a free lunch or or, or a, a band-aid from a public health nurse without paying for it so you know we're going to cut off our nose to spite our face and, and they've been doing that pretty much since the civil war yeah and some of them their mentality is still rooted in the civil war uh, there's there's an awful lot of anti-yankee sentiment in the bible belt and the Democrats are seen as being the metropolitan party, the, the party that's more cosmopolitan, more urban, and it's uh, a rural-urban split in a lot of those states, and the rural wins, because they're really voting against their own interests when they vote Republican, but they do it over and over and over again. Again, like you said, it's, it's the politics of what if somebody gets something that I think they don't deserve, as opposed to what am I getting? You know, I'm what services in, uh, can, can I access? I'm living in this tar paper shack with a rusting uh, truck in the, uh, in, in, you know, in the driveway and uh, no teeth, but, you know, something, you know, but I'll be, I'll be damned if anyone else uh, get, life gets any better. Yeah. And the politics of spite is, uh, is very strong. Um, and, you know, we're getting shades of the American electorate up here. It's thankfully not overwhelming yet. But I still see, and social media is really a poor indication of what the general public is thinking. Social media is a world unto itself. But uh, I see attacks on uh, Trudeau or on Singh, anything progressive, anything liberal um, that resonate in tone with a similarity to what you see in the United States, to the, the political speak you see in the United States amongst conservatives. So there is that dis, you know, disturbing trend. I think people need to look at what the US was like under the Republicans to see what Canada would be like under this present group of conservatives. If, if the conservative policy platform was trotted out there in a way that with proper examination, people would be running away, but they're selling the uh, guy next door-ish aspect and, and appeal of Aaron O'Toole and not focusing so much on their policies. They're, they're, they're trotting out some of their more populist party, uh, policies, but some of the ones that would really concern people are still swept under the rug. And it's disturbing, it, and, and we'll have to see what comes of it. Uh, this is uh, certainly a bigger roller coaster than anybody predicted, though I did say, I think I might have said it on one of our podcasts, that... I just had a gut feeling that <clears throat> just remembering what happened in Ontario with Frank Miller when he brought the big blue machine to its end by calling an election, thinking they were going to, you know, cakewalk to victory and defeated by David Peterson's liberals. And I think of Peterson's liberals who did the same thing, called an election. They wanted to, they were in a coalition government that called an election. They wanted to, to be the, the government. They thought they were in a good position to, to regain uh, majority government in Ontario, and they got beaten by the NDP because in both those cases, the wheels fell off when the time came for the, for the campaign to actually happen. The run-up to the campaign, if you think people aren't thinking much about the campaign now, think about how little they were thinking about it before there was actually a campaign, before the writ was dropped. So the answers people gave to pollsters at that point in time 
would have been even more absent-minded uh, than the ones that people are giving now. So we'll have to watch and see. This, this could turn out to be a great upset. Uh, people, you know, polls have, have been decidedly wrong over and over again now. We'll have to see what, what comes of it. Um, just like we'll have to see what's going to happen here in Ontario now that uh, Doug Ford finally stopped dragging his feet and announced the vaccine passport program. Yeah, well, the most, you know, the most fun of it was, uh, you know, he, he finally came out of wherever he's been hiding for, for, for 30 days and, uh, and said, you know, we're doing this. I hate it. I'm against it. But, you know, the, and we're only doing it because the federal government didn't do it. It's like, well, if you hate it and you're against it, why were you all excited about the federal government doing it? And, and the reason obviously was, and again, I think I said that this last week before he made the announcement, you know, he wants the feds to do it. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of problems with the feds doing it because most of the healthcare data all belongs to the provinces and coordinating it. And it's, it's a little more complicated for the feds to do it than for the provinces to do it because the provinces have all the information. But, uh, you know, Ford wanted the feds to do it. So his 20% base, which is vehemently anti-vax, they're the ones who are out picketing in front of, uh, of hospitals and stopping ambulances from getting in to being in front of people's houses to blocking streets and, and heckling Trudeau. You know, those are his people because they're not, they're not voting for anyone else. They're not, they're not NDP or liberal voters. And uh, he didn't want to honk off that base core of his support in a way that they feel very passionately about. He wanted to hide behind the feds, putting in a, a federal vaccine passport to say, well, look, I wasn't for it, but the feds have done it. You know what? You know, I guess if uh, retailers want to use it, then that's up to them. Um, and when he was really put on the spot, he said, well, you know, I hate it, but but uh, and the feds wouldn't do it. So I guess we're going to have to do it. And so which one is it? Do you hate it or you know, do you have to do it? Or do you have to do it? Um, well, he's talking about both sides of his mouth. I think that I, yeah, I think that it will lose him some support amongst his base who won't vote for liberal or NDP. They just won't vote. Yeah. Because, you know, that's the other thing is. Well, the enthusiasm. ones who survived the pandemic. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. The, the ones that are dead are on ventilators. Um, that's the thing is that you really need enthusiasm uh, for your government if you want to get reelected. There has to be enthusiasm, just like federally, there doesn't appear to be enthusiasm for Trudeau. There were people who were like, yeah, he's done a good job. They were fine with leaving things as they were. But when it came time to, to think about them, they're just, it doesn't even seem much enthusiasm within the Liberal Party. Uh, I mean, the, the arrogance is showing through that they're, all their planning was for a best case scenario. And now they're scrambling and doing a poor job of it. Uh, this is Trudeau's election to lose because he led the, the country through a pandemic. He kept people solvent, kept businesses solvent as much as possible. Um, he took a lead in, in vaccinations. And, you know, we've done very well uh, as a country with getting vaccinated, you know, greater and lesser degree, different regions, different provinces. Uh, the economy is bouncing back. All of these things are things he should be tub thumping and he's not it, it's like where's the enthusiasm where's the beef yeah it's just not and, there and i have to say too you know, when you are the incumbent uh, and you said like you said you know the election is yours to lose and everyone's taking shots at you 
Well, I've noticed that the Canadian uh, media is, is, is sort of mirrored the electorate, which is, you know, taking shots at the government. Uh, and it's, you know, you know, I've been in media family for, for more than a hundred years now, and you've been, uh, you've certainly, uh, know your way around the media. So I watch things with a, a certain lens of, uh, of looking for bias and looking for balance and checking, you know, particular words that, uh, that they use in newscasts and all the rest. And I have to say, you know, there has been a, and I'm not a big conspiracy theorist when it comes to the media and all the rest, but, you know, Canadian media is dominated by conservative voices, you know, whether it's the uh, post-media chain, the sun chain, uh, which is now, the, you know, the same chain, uh, or, you know, some of the um, electronic media, uh, you know, CTV and, and some of the others, there's, there really is, again, a crankiness towards the government. And uh, I, you know, other, other people have noticed as well, you know, that the, that, that the liberals aren't getting a great shake uh, it, during this, uh, this election. There's, certain, there's certainly no media outlet that's enthusing over them. Even, even the Toronto Star, when you know, everyone talks, you know, calls it the Red Star because it's been the liberal slash NDP for so long. But, you know, it's, the star has been balanced, which is all I expect from from media. But you know, I have been seeing that it's part of the pylon effect. And some of this, it's for clicks, it's for selling papers and all the rest. You know, um, going after the government is is good for circulation. So you know, whether it's the Christia Freeland story about manipulated video, which turns out to uh, have been dismissed by Elections Canada, you know, it's still a big story that they play up big, and it hurts the government. As opposed to, you know, if you go after the opposition, uh, you know, is that going to sell papers particularly? I mean, unless it's a really big gaffe, um, and even those kind of get ignored. Um, you know, no one sort of calls out O'Toole for not stepping out of his movie uh, set uh, and uh, you know not going out and meeting any real people. You know, Singh and Trudeau have both been out on on the hustings. They're meeting real people. Uh, when you meet real people out on the street, you run the risk of uh, you know, unpleasant uh, encounters, but that's part of politics. Whereas O'Toole has been playing it completely safe from from his uh, from his. Uh, uh, someone called it the Aaron Bunker. I like that. Though, <laughs> um, so, uh, or or a you know a completely empty uh, bowling alley. He did his last uh, conference from press conference from or his announcement. It's uh, but no one's calling that out and saying like, look, you know, when are you going to get out and see people? You know, you've got this cocoon around you. But again, that's not. That's not clickworthy. That doesn't sell papers, but uh, you know, attacking the government does. Um, and you know, the story that you know Trudeau called a, called an election at a bad time and is now uh, you know reaping the whirlwind. That is that's a story that newspapers can jump behind and sell and kind of turn into a self fulfilling prophecy. And I think that is what's happening. I I find a lot of the coverage is in the tank for uh, the NDP. That there is a lot of uh, the the liberal press is really leaning towards the NDP. Well, they're softballing it, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And the conservative press, I mean, what do you expect when you've got two large newspaper chains owned by a U.S. hedge fund um, that has made it clear that they tilt stories to a conservative, a conservative lens? That's what you're going to get. Uh, I mean, the Post has been continually running brutal stories against Trudeau and the Liberals. Just brutal. Uh, I can't read all of them because I don't, I don't have a subscription to the National Post because I won't give them money. So a lot of them are paywalled. But the ones that I have been able to see, it's just it's a repeated 
blow to the head. And nobody on the liberal side, I say liberal with a small L, nobody on the progressive side of the media is coming out and equally banging uh, heads together in support of Trudeau, and neither are the liberals themselves touting their, their records and what they, what they want to do, they're just, or they're just not getting the headlines. That's possible too. And also, Justin Trudeau is a lousy orator. He, he does not have the charisma of his father at all. Uh, he doesn't even have the charisma of his mother, who's a good speaker. Uh, he, I find him uh, halting when he speaks. I find he speaks in a voice that's almost monotone soft. Uh, I don't like to watch him speak. I'd rather read his comments in print than watch him deliver them because he doesn't engender a whole lot of sense of being in charge when he speaks. It seems like he's reading off of notes that he copied from somebody. Yeah. And, you know, when, not that O'Toole is this great towering uh, mountain of charisma, but, uh, you know, he was basically the contrast in 2015 to Harper, who came across as a cold fish and, you know, not very approachable as a human being, almost robotic. And Trudeau came out as being, for all of his flaws and all the rest, as being very human and very likable and approachable. It was the contrast that was really the important thing. And again, with Shear, uh, you know, Shear had his, his own personality deficits uh, that people you know, got to know him and, and just didn't, didn't warm to him either. So, you know, Trudeau, again, was a pretty good contrast. O'Toole, I think there, there is a big contrast with O'Toole, but the conservatives have learned after two elections, basically not to show the leader. You know, to keep O'Toole away from anything where there's real human interaction, because it will really show up his his own personality deficits in terms of warmth and and genuineness and all those other human things that we like to see in someone. So I think they they realized probably through focus groups and maybe some soul searching that O'Toole as a person isn't very sellable and not very likable, um, but. The way they've uh, the way they fixed that is let's hide O'Toole. Yeah, well, we've jawed about it now for about an hour. Um, we haven't solved the world's problems yet. <laughs> uh, no, nope. no. But week by week, we're tripping away. We're getting closer. We're getting closer, <laughs> and we're getting closer to uh, election day. And uh, I think I'll be glad when this election, Canadians always say the same thing. They'll be glad when the election is over. Um, yeah. and, and the post-election period is going to be really interesting, you know, not to drag us out much longer, but, yeah. you know, if it's, if it is a, a conservative minority and, you know, the jury's out on that, well, who's going to work with them? You know, the liberals will not. Um, the NDP has already said, yeah, we'd be we'd, we would consider working with the, the, the conservatives. And, and I thought that would have been in itself just an incredibly damaging admission. But, but Jagmeet Singh said, yeah, we would, we would work with the conservatives. You know, we would have all these conditions, but we would work with them. The BQ certainly would because, you know, they work with anyone who gives them stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's just a question of how big a minority it is. If it's, if it's slender, I mean, the Conservatives and the NDP, they would not last long together. So I don't see it as being a very stable minority. But again, you know, it's all in the numbers. If the BQ could constantly, uh, you know, wag the dog, they would be happy to do that for years and years and years and leave the Liberals and the NDP and a progressive agenda out in the cold for, you know, basically, you know, for the entire period. So it would be a very interesting post 
uh, election world if it is a, a small uh, conservative minority? Well, the other thing that will be interesting is the liberals will be in a leadership race. Because yeah. Justin Trudeau, I, I'm not convinced that even if he gets a minor, minority, he won't resign at this point. Um, but this is the last federal election that he'll be at the helm of the Liberal Party. I think that's a very safe bet to make. Yeah, I suspect that's true too. I mean, whichever I, way I, it turns out. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I think for everybody, uh, you know, I, I think Trudeau probably isn't enjoying this very much, um, and uh, you know, and I think the party would be uh, would be saying, okay, it's time to try something, try something a little different. I think that if Christia part of the rebranding, if Christia Freeland were the candidate, uh, they would be actually further ahead. Well, interestingly in enough, Christia Friedland, I, I don't know if you've, you've noticed, but she is going from riding to riding to riding. She is out there being surrogate leader in a lot of ridings. Um, every time I turn on, you know, a, a you know, certainly the GTA, but even farther afield, um, Christia Friedland is there propping up a liberal candidate, campaigning for them or speaking at their, uh, their events. And she is everywhere. So I think, you know, there's pretty good money on the idea that, uh, you know, she's pretty well positioned if, if and when uh, there is a, a leadership uh, convention for the Liberals. Yeah, so we will see. We will see. And we will be back again next week to continue our analysis of the ongoing crisis of the world. So thank you, Stephen. Hey, my pleasure. It's, you know, there, there's lots to talk about, that's for sure. Uh, Stephen Lawton's can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawton's, which is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. Um, if you're interested in more of what the work I do, go to newmusicnation.ca for old school, much music style music uh, television that focuses on independent artists. And there's so many great ones across this country with great videos. People are really being blown away by like the, the amount of talent is out there. It's not just lip service. There's tangible proof and uh, you'll enjoy being introduced to these artists. That's newmusicnation.ca. Stephen, thank you. Hey, my pleasure. We'll see you next week. See you next week. This has been Stephen and Stephen. I'm Stephen Kersner. <laughs>